This might sit down with singer, songwriter, Miriam Sassy. We had an off-the-record conversation since we didn't see each other for so long. So when we started recording, it, it was a breeze. Um, she's a fantastic talent who had to work hard on her craft every single day. A deep and generous soul and a beautiful individual in and out. On this episode, Miriam shares with us how music found her at a young age. She talks about the support of her incredible super mother. She had a super mom. How she had to adapt coming to Montreal, Canada as a young teenager. And we talk music, of course. An episode you will probably be playing over and over again. Start the pod. Oh yeah, oh yeah, P.S. A little bit of some uh, coarse language in this one. Um, so just a heads up. All right, enjoy. Start the pot. Hi, my name is Lynn Worrell. I'm the founder of a community organization called Word, writing our rhymes down, and I am a youth worker at the Calful Jeunesse Emploi of NDG. Hi, my name is Carl Thomas. I'm a community worker for Prevention Codenege NDG. And welcome to The Dep. The Dep, a podcast about community service work in your neighborhood. All right. Thank you for taking the time to be able to come to a community podcast. We appreciate you. Oh, um, man. We started community. <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> right? So that's pretty cool. Um, so do you want to introduce yourself and tell the listeners what you do? Uh, my name is Miriam Sassy, and I am a singer, songwriter, MC, and a workshop facilitator. Also used to work with Carl back when I was a teenager as a youth worker. That's how my career started. <laughs> and I'm trying to do everything with music to bring my life back to community work. <laughs> nice. Okay, that's super cool. So, so let's get into it. So the love for music, did you always have it? Did, you, did it just fell on your lap? Did you always have like the musical talent? Are you one of those? Or did you have to... I imagine you had at one point to work for your craft, but... Mm-hmm. Let's let's bring it back to Miriam as a young girl. What's happening? How did you fall in love with with music? Yeah, it definitely felt like it was um, it was written for me in a way because I um, responded to responded to singing really really young. I think I was maybe like three or four years old, and I remember just being fascinated by singers just in general like divas if i would hear like a celine dion or maya really? carré okay. back in algeria we used to have like hacked um hacked. <laughs> yeah we used to hack like uh french channels yeah because in algeria entertainment is really really well it used to be i think it's way mm-hmm. better now but it's really dead like you have the news you have animal documentaries and religion on TV. That's what you have. Okay. And then maybe one cartoon that's black and white. That's how I grew up. And it was just not really entertaining in any way. And musically, we had certain, you know, like music going on radio and all that stuff. For but sure. most of our culture that we got, or the Western culture, was all hacked. Mm-hmm. Um, so we would have, have access to those channels. And just from there on, I remember being really captivated. And, um, you know, when you watch, like, Western movies, like, for you guys, it's normal. But for us, it's not. Like, we don't have lullabies before we go to bed. And, what like, do you have? Nothing. You just go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> but my mom used to be one of those cool moms who kind of lived in France a bit. And uh, when we, like, I would watch certain movies or whatever, 
you know, she would indulge and like she would try to read me stories or get me like, they would have like one book when I was a young kid. Like it was this moon girl, the girl that would go to the moon. Sailor um, Moon? No, not Sailor Moon. The but, girl that would Yeah, it was like a little moon. like, a, um, like, you know, a book, book for kids with like drawings in it. Okay. And there's a story of this orphan girl whose mom is the moon. And she's trying to do everything to get to the moon. Oh, okay. And she has a ladder at some point. Listen, I still remember like it was yesterday. It's okay. crazy, right? But I remember I used to like make a whole soundtrack in my head to that story. And I would ask my mom to sing to me before I go to bed. Because I was like, oh, all the kids in the world get that. Why can't I get that, you know? And my mom would start singing. It was horrendous. And I would be like, you know what, mom? Can I sing? And so I started singing myself to sleep. Really? And I would ask my mom, like, hey, can I sing myself to sleep? And what did you sing? Like, I... I would sing melodies that I would have learned from whatever I watched that day, or, like, songs that I really liked. Um, I remember singing, like, some Celine Dion tracks, Mariah Carey tracks, Whitney. Holy. Putting myself to sleep, or whatever I was, like, captivated by at the time. And I remember loving to sing loud at all the family gatherings, even if maybe it was not on pitch or nothing. You weren't shy, like, at four or no, five years old? No, I really wasn't. Like, I, I, I clearly naturally had that thing of wanting to sing, of not being shy to sing. Yeah. And, um, and really being, like mesmerized by the idea mm-hmm. of it you know and i remember seeing like we would like have vhs tapes and we would like tape video clips like on certain channels like emsis in france they used to have like the hit machine or like the top yeah, yeah, yeah. hit and then they, it would be like a bunch of videos going through right and we would like tape those or like tv shows like alf or friends hella 90s you know oh my so God. we would like tape those things and this is this our life you know and yeah. like so I would tape those things and I would rehearse and learn the track phonetically, not knowing what the hell I'm as saying. As a kid. As a kid. And when then... You, you did, that's, that's my point. Like, you didn't understand the language no, that was being... No. Okay. Mm-mm. But I would imitate it phonetically to sound like it. But it's a thing, yeah, so like dope. it was yogurt. Like, it, that's yeah. what we call it, like yogurt English. It's not English. It's not French. It's a language that sounds like an in-between of things. And what did your mom think about that? Like My you having that behavior Like she encouraged it. And she probably thought you was... were like the main attraction at like family events. <laughs> well, no, I wasn't that kid though. I wasn't like, yeah, let me stay. No, but you you weren't shy to 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 be able to sing in front of people. No, so no, I imagine no. every gathering was like, yeah. Do you want to sing us a song? Do no, actually, us- that's it. It was not like me imposing myself. It was mm-hmm. more being asked asking. to sing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But what happened is that at home, because I, my mom was a single mom, okay, and she was a she used to be a beautician under the table. Since, since you're since you're a kid, yeah, you're a single child. Well, I have a half brother that's older than me. Okay, but we don't have the same that father. Yeah. Okay. Well, I grew up in a weird context. Okay, so please I, elaborate. <laughs> <laughs> we were in a nice building, but there was like no running water, cockroaches everywhere, Holy like electricity on and off all the time, things yeah. like that. And you but, remember that? Of course, I remember. Like it's yesterday, my oh. childhood is extremely vivid in my head because it was so intense. Mm-hmm. But um. We used to live in this like uh, two bedroom apartment on the first floor of this building and uh, connected to it, there was like villas. That's, that's what I'm trying to explain to you is that when we had independence in Algeria, people just took apartments and like houses and stuff like that. So people that had like certain houses or apartments were not necessarily rich. You know, they just got passed down. Yeah. So you have people like having villas next door, but it's like three families living there. Okay. But you're in like an apartment building, you know what I'm saying? But like, it's just this weird thing of having like different classes but you're all like working or poor and you have shacks in the back and shacks by the water so it was like a mixture of of that lifestyle and my mom 
kind of transitioned her life there from being a single mom with my brother. Mm-hmm. And then pretty much when she got with my father, you know, I ended up being raised in the same apartment as my brother anyways. And they didn't stay together. It was mad dysfunctional, but they were like on and off. So when, when, when you got here, you were 12, 13? I was uh, 13 and a half going on 14. Did you speak any? English? No. At all? At all. French? No. Yes. Yeah. But not, not like I didn't go to school in French. So going to school in French here was completely new because I studied in Arabic. Mm-hmm. And we spoke a dialect in the street. So maybe like for Haitian, you know, you go to school and you learn maybe French. But you also yeah, but you, have you always speak Creole. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we had like that. We had a dialect in the streets and Arabic in school. And French was like a second language. So you're getting here at 12, like 13 14, years yeah, old. Yeah, less than 14. Okay, le- okay, around 13, 14 then. Yeah, because I was about to turn 14. It was like July 2000. So yeah, it was 13 and a half. Was so what's happening first. then? Are are you are you guys trying right away to get you into school? Yeah. Like how yeah. how was like your So yo, just to get back to integrate? my just to get back to my youth real quick about uh-huh. why I was singing out loud and shit. Sorry. Can I lose? Yeah, of course. Um so the reason why is because so I also grew up with my mom's cousin who had mm-hmm. down syndrome who was sent from the village. So basically in Algeria or in most countries in Africa When you have uh, a member of the family that's hard to sustain or has like a sickness or yeah. a condition of sort, depending on the level of ignorance, because some are really ignorant with it, but some will try to discharge themselves of that responsibility because it's usually poor families with like 10, 15 kids and stuff like that. So if one or two of them are not able to get married, uh, if it's women, and they're not able to marry them off or if they have any type of problem, they try to send them off to the city people or like mem- members of the family and like they say oh but she can clean take care of the house for you you just take care of her as a child yeah. as your child so you pretty much like it's adopt. like a deal yeah, yeah. yeah you adopt for, but they're for... like a grown kid like yeah the, you know like she was like maybe 18 when my mom took her in mm-hmm. but with the mindset of a six seven year old in a way right yeah and so i grew up with her as well in the house so she was like my uh She was like uh, my hype woman in many ways, right? Yeah. Like, so when I was oh, a kid. Oh, she would love when you would sing. Yeah. And, oh, man, that's so dope. <laughs> so that's how, that's how it kind of started for me, too, you know? Like, when I would like. You had your fan base already. Yeah. And it was just like this, this fun thing. Like, she was like, she was like my best friend. I always get teared up when I think about her. But like, she's like, she was like my best friend in that way. Because you're like a kid and you're doing your things. You're running around the house. You're like playing around and stuff yeah. like that. And like, and me, I would always sing along everything I would hear. And. I love to sing. So when my mom would be gone to do some groceries or whatever, and we'd be alone at home, like, I would, like, take off, like, my mom had, like, a beautician room, which was her bedroom as well. Yeah. <laughs> But in the daytime, she would have yeah. her clients there, and she had this huge mirror. So whenever she didn't have clients or whatever, I would just, like, lock myself in there and have a show, you know? And, like, the That's more... Awesome. You know, that was my That's life. That was adorable. my life as I was a kid. That's, like, I couldn't go out and yeah. play because, like, when you're a girl, it's that complicated. For sure. So when I was really young, young, I could go out and play. But at a certain age, I couldn't go out anymore. Mm. And you didn't have access to many things, you know? So I, I was That's my amazing. own one-woman show on my own. And then, like, I would, like, hide at first. And then, like, I think she totally gassed me up. <laughs> so I started, like, opening the windows and letting the whole neighborhood hear me sing. <laughs> And then, yeah, it became a thing, and everywhere I would go, people are like, sing that Mariah Carey song. So, so what's happening in, in your first year of high school? 
at the um, first couple of years okay so the first how are you few making months, friends how are you yeah so the first few months were crazy because here we are trying to prepare a whole file to go to court and not get deported yeah and uh, while having to start up a new life so the first month I gained so much weight because I've never eaten so much food in my life. Like, I never <laughs> ate a banana or a strawberry or Nutella. Oh, my like, God. I didn't or, even think about cereals. that. Yeah, or cereals. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm like, cereals. I've only seen that thing in, like, French commercials, you know, on our hacked <laughs> yeah. channels. On our so, hacked channels. There was so many things. I was just like, oh, my God, this is real. Like a Mars bars, Like, yeah, just yeah. chocolate bars. Yo, bro. Now when I everything. go back to Algeria, it's abundant of these things. Yeah. And I'm like, growing up, we didn't have none of that, you know? But it's so funny because when I go back, I'm still married to that old school, like, chocolate from Algeria, like, mm-hmm. the whack version of, like, French real gourmet <laughs> Swiss chocolate. But I love it. Like, yeah. It's like, but anyway, so basically when we got here, it was one of those, like, transitions of obviously finding an apartment. And we had to go to Oshlaga, cheapest place, like $400 rent all yeah. included back in the day for mm-hmm. three and a half so we lived in a one-bedroom apartment for the first year and uh yeah it was it was it was really tough um we started sa- checking out the schools and um yeah how did you end up living said, all the way in the yeah. east <laughs> the music man we discovered a gospel choir within a month of us being in canada my mom saw on tv when we moved in to our own apartment the people that invited us to stay over their apartment the first month mm-hmm. the guy worked for video Tron. So he got us a cable for free Okay. for like the longest time when we first got in. So we had access to TV for free, yeah. right? But when you're poor, you don't have access to these things. But when you get connections, you do. For sure. So we got that and even internet at one point, I think uh, we got this crazy deal for the first year. My mom couldn't afford to do the that. The whole don't pick up the telephone internet. Crazy. Yeah. Like crazy. <laughs> so I pretty much shopped around and I think because I went to that gospel choir, and connected to a musical possibility. Um, mm. It just became this dream of being able to go to music school or something, you know? And yeah. we researched, researched, and the only thing we found was Saint-Luc had musical. Yeah. The Revue yeah. Musicale, you okay. know? Yeah, we just didn't care, man. I went all the way to Montreal North to be part of a gospel choir, and I went all the way to Montreal West uh, to Damn. go to high school, but just in the name of music, like yeah. just to be able to do that. Um, because we didn't have money to go to music school or private school or conservatories or. And and when you got to school, were you in integration for your first year, like IK? I I thought I would. Yeah. So they ended up giving me exams. Basically, I wasn't supposed to be accepted in Saint Louis because of the geography. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I was surprised that you're all from yeah. the like all the way. I was an exception. Yeah, yeah. So basically, what happened is that when I went to that school, I auditioned. To Sheesh. Monsieur Jodois, who is the musical director yeah. of the music department, and um, blown away. He's pretty much the reason I like started all of this because he's the one who believed in me and literally was like, "That is yes, so you dope. are." Yeah. Not only was he touched by our story and the fact that he believed in my talent, but he had like a golden heart. Like he really hooked me up. Yeah. Like he worked it out so that the school took my file. In consideration, he facilitated the whole like clearing of being accepted there and all that stuff. Man, I'm so happy that happened. Otherwise, I would have went to like Champlain High School. No, hey, just saying. Yeah. Saint Luke is the that, most yeah, multi-ethnic yeah. Oh, high school definitely. in Montreal, definitely. and there's nothing that would have been able to help reflect my experience better than that high school in a way yeah. because of how it paved the way for the rest of 
I mean, the most multicultural band today. Like, it's this crazy thing, right? But it's just so amazing how the people I connected with there, too, like, Mm. made their own path in music. Later, we reconnected in many ways, right? So, but yeah, that's how it started. That man believed in me and made it easy for me to integrate that school and things that I had to pay for. He managed to, like, you know, have me get access to, like, coupon for foods, like, at school. So I would have, like, the the special color thing where... I have like limited access to certain foods in the cafeteria yeah. for like cheaper than everybody else, oh, and, like, things like that. He gave me a clarinet instead of because he knew I can pay a hundred bucks, whatever for the year, you know. Mm. So he gave me the clarinet. I wanted to play piano, but beggars can't be choosers. Took the clarinet. Yeah. So <laughs> hated it for four years. But in, can you still play? I don't know. I'd have to see. Oh, okay, you. you okay. I, the, I, I just, After those four years, yo, you're like, I'm done trauma, with it. Trauma, yeah, yeah, PTSD. Yeah. I'm telling you, <laughs> like just the squeaks, man. I hear the yeah, squeaks yeah. on through oh, the night. God. No, but I used yeah. to play in an orchestra and everything, like big things. I was reading music and everything. I was mm. like a big shot. Uh, not. I would probably be the weakling <laughs> squeaking all over the freaking orchestra, but I was a good singer. <laughs> so yeah. um, I really was doing that so that I can do the musicals and that I could be part of uh, the after school program. And how was that experience? Tough the first year, extremely tough. So um, the thing is, Saint Luke is a French school, but the neighborhood is English. So all the kids that were cool or all the kids in general spoke English. Yeah. I didn't. And they, and they still have that, that issue until today. Yeah. Like forcing, like, like, Forcing the kids to yeah, speak French. In absolutely. Yeah. It's crazy. Like mm-hmm. you can get detention, you can get all for types sure. of stuff because of that. And we never you get detention for not speaking French in school. Yes. Yeah. And it was mad annoying because you can't even perform. Like if you like talent shows or Oh, even that had yes. to be in French? Yes, and even auditions for the musical, like all the musical were translated. So you're like doing oh. like a, in the jungle, the liar's jungle, whatever they yeah. but you're like in French. Say a word. But it's correct. It exists in French. No, like, no, I know, exists, but like, but why? But the other ones? Yeah. It's like, why? Like, si tu fais des musicals like La Bohemian, things that are French, like French yeah. musicals is dope. It is. But when it's like English jazzy stuff, no, and yeah, there's no translation. Yeah, there's no translation for it's that. It's mad annoying. But they did yeah. manage to keep certain tracks in English and uh, they would translate other ones and stuff okay. like that. And it was a huge production. Like, it taught me so much. It was like acting singing the musical the musicians and all of that stuff the dancing and just the show part the theater part you know crazy school for that amazing amazing school but kids are mean you know kids are mean and i got bullied man i got bullied but see, no really yeah but i'm a hot-blooded person growing up in algeria coming from the war meaning so, that so i used, you didn't you didn't let shit go you didn't no, let shit I had pass to because yeah. we, like that was the that was the biggest mind fuck for me at the time because back home I used to fight boys. Like yeah. I didn't fight girls growing up, but I fought boys. And I like I, I was a little bit of a tomboy. It was weird, right? I could see that. But <laughs> I was still like a girl and yeah. I was definitely a girl's girl in the sense that like if you mess with my girl or a dude try to take advantage by being mean to a girl, like yeah. I'll slap you. Like but to protect my girl type of thing. So I'm not fighting with girls. That's not my mentality. Yeah. And when girls want to fight me, like, I was always confused. Like, I was really confused. But I had that mentality of being hot-blooded, you know? Because that's how we are in Algeria. But I was not a confrontational person or an instigator or somebody that's, like, looking for trouble or 
coming at you on some bully shit at all. But in the trouble. But I used to be that justice. Like, because I was staying bully. Like, I was good at school. I would always get, like, good grades. And I was, like, competitive about it, I also believe that. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, no, I'm getting getting that 40 on 40 in math class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was was that Uh that kid. But, you know, we didn't have much to live up for, straight up. Like, the most excitement in our lives was inundation. Like, to have, like, a flood. And, like, because our sewer system is so messed up, we can't make it to the school. Yeah. Because it's too much water. And then we're having fun, like, splashing around. And, like, that was our highlights. And otherwise, you have, like, um, you, you had, like, military tanks at 10 p.m., like, in front of your house. Like, people yeah. dying all over the place. Bombs Shit. exploding. Like, you didn't have a life where you have that freedom in many ways. But our freedom Yeah, you was didn't have that us. life to, to be able to be yeah. a kid. So, the messed up was our normal. Yeah. In many ways, right? So, then you come here. Yeah, and, and I'm, let's I'm say here. someone's trying to pick on you, yeah, and, and you're so my used to like, is yeah, to fight, yeah, but I couldn't because we might get deported, and I can't afford to be expelled from a school or have any problems at school, and I can't afford to be a more of a problem to my mom. Like, my lord, okay, it, I can't. We just already can't from it. that perspective, like listening to you right now saying that puts a lot of pressure on a young teenager that's just trying to adapt to a yeah to a new school, to exactly. a system, to mm. a to a country, to mm-hmm. a neighborhood, mm-hmm. and to people, to individuals. Yeah. So whole and year. also be having the heartbreak of leaving everything you know. Yeah, and exactly. Your friends right? and you know your your whole life. Yeah, you know? as so, a teenager, you come here. You probably already had a life. You yeah, okay. you had a crew. You, yeah, you, know, you had like, a crew. You come yeah, in and yeah. you know nobody. Like uh-huh. you no, know, but you have nobody Start in your corner. Zero. You know, my lord. And and I wasn't even in the same neighborhood I went to school at, so I couldn't even connect with the other kids. Oh, good point. Past. You couldn't hang out because yeah. you had to go home. Yeah, and I used to be the kid that took an hour and a half to get to school every day, Damn. and an hour to get back because that enough and i'm out here like so what kept you going program. what kept you going what kept you even though when, when you were getting bullied like what kept you going and, and pushing and grinding and i don't know i think it's because it's like you know i was heavily invested like i didn't grow up as a kid right so i was like an adult and my mom treated me like an adult ever since i was Definitely. a kid and my mom was like my best friend so you know, like, the way we got out of the country, we got out illegally. Like, I was all the way into the plan. I had to learn to be somebody else. I had to be, learn to be a French Parisian kid and speak what? like a Parisian kid. And I signed, I falsified all the signatures of my dad. So, like, when I would go to school Holy as an 11-year-old. Like yeah, like, as an 11-year-old, uh, 12-year-old, I would go to school and I'd come back. And I found out, because my father wasn't really present in my life. There was a lot of back and forth going on in their relationship. But... When he had come back at a certain time, it was to plan us getting out of the country because mm-hmm. he was going through so many things because he was in the South. My dad was from the South of Algeria and called it the door of the Sahara. And there, there used to be a bunch of corruption of the military and the terrorist groups and all of that stuff. So when you had a business, racketeering, was, it was just crazy. They would just come and take your business or whatever. Or you become their, it's like you're working for them. But yeah. You're getting like pulled from the government and pulled from the terrorists and whatever. You get caught in a crossfire. So a lot of people that have businesses or intellectuals, journalists, people were getting killed left and right. So he was trying to flee from that. And he was trying to pretty much make a plan to get us out of the country. Mm-hmm. But I didn't really grow up with him in that way. And he abandoned us a lot of times. And he was having other wives so, and so shit. So you had sort of like some, some resentment <gasps> yeah, towards I mean, your... it's like a dream come true to think for me for once that I'm going to have a family for real. And yeah. we're going to flee the war. It's bittersweet. But there was like that waiting, right? On the other side. Mm-hmm. 
so that plan took about a year and a half to two years to come to life, right? Mm-hmm. And the way it happens that my dad had to get out first, make it to Canada, accept, be accepted here, and then do a sponsoring so that we can come in. But my dad, crazy as he is, he went through Mexico, crossed the border legally to the state, crossed the border legally to Canada. The whole nine yards. And finally made it yeah. here. Finally got his refugee status. <laughs> finally got the whole sponsoring thing start, started. But he was a fuckboy, so he decided that... He was that, a fuck. <laughs> he decided that, oh, you know, no woman, no family. You called your pops a fuckboy. Oh, yeah, he's the ultimate. So yeah. he was like, pretty much, he was like, oh, snap. Oh, you know what? Thanks for helping me get out of the country. Thanks for giving me all the savings you put aside for, your, for, for the kid and oh, stuff. Wow. So he stopped the whole process. Mm-hmm. So the plan didn't go as planned. And so at 12 year old, I find out that like, we're not going to join my father in Canada. Yeah. None of that stuff is happening anymore. Because he's doing his own shit. He's yeah, but he left boy. my mom in deep, deep yeah. shit, right? So she was like, oh, hell no. Like, with or without him, we're not, not going to die here like that, you know? So um, Props to your mom, though. Yeah, she's the, she's the real Boss MVP. lady. Yeah, she was the, the man. Real MVP. The real MVP. I like and, that, yeah. And all of them. This podcast is brought to you by Prevention Codenege NDG and the Tab Jeunesse NDG. Subscribe now to the Dead Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or SoundCloud. And please give us a five star rating. In or out on Mumble Rap? In. Only if it's In. well done, though. Only if it's well done? Yeah, like, I mean. Like, who's an artist that you could, like, bump? Like, Mumble Rap? Or the Mumble Rap King. Who? You know. No, I don't. Really? I listen to Travis Scott. Like okay. I, I like Travis Scott, even though sometimes I don't always understand. But wait, who is the original like Travis inventor Scott. of mumbo rap? I don't know. No, no, no. But like before this new wave, there was one. Oh well, no. uh, Young Thug basically. Young Thug is the Young like, Thug. Yeah, it, yeah. I, I, I like, I like, like him. At first. at first, I didn't like. Yeah, him. me too. Me Legit too. Legit didn't like him because I thought it was like a copy of like yeah. Little Wayne. But that's it. But Sorry, like mumbo rap did start with those guys, but yeah. like slowly, you soft know what I'm saying? Soft in with, uh, yeah. yeah. But I kind of legit took a while to connect to it. Won't lie, I, mm-hmm. I connected to, to trap. Here. Same I connected here. to trap. Trap music is dope. Trap is dope, of course. <laughs> but it took me a while to understand certain different things. But once I got it, I was like, "Oh, that's genius. That's still genius, though. <laughs> yeah, like the yeah, way, yeah. the way the flow." And they lend it in the intonations and the character and the no, there's there's and it there's stays some, in your head. It's, it does, it's, man. Yeah, it's like it earworms. But ultimately, yeah. somebody comes out of left field. Um, would you would ever it, go to that a certain level culture? A certain level of a culture? No, because I'm. It's, it doesn't speak to me. I don't rep that. Yeah. Unless I'm trying to make a a funny punchline or yeah. like I'm trying to make a point, mm. and I can use that, you know. But it. It's not me, but I can appreciate it when other people do it and do it well. I don't mm-hmm. like it as a trend because that's the annoying part is that as soon as something comes out, then you have a whole phase of just that coming out. Yeah. Just that. Non-stop. And every artist becomes the same. Yeah. Exactly. So it's cool because then you get to refine your taste and figure out, oh, this one is cool for that. This one is cool for that. But when you have like a bunch of them doing the same thing all the time, it gets hard. It gets difficult. Like. But Travis Scott is dope. Travis Scott is dope. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And just like ask, adding that melodic aspect to rap and still making Oof, it sound that's gangster, a, like Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's just for me, I'm I think I'm embracing the evolution of hip hop in a different way, I guess, because I see it as Do branches. Th- yeah. I see it as branches. Just like people used to shit on like um 
Like when when Outcast first started, for example. Oh yeah, people thought they were weird. Me, it was the truth. Yeah. Like bombs over Baghdad when I first heard that track, like because I wasn't hip to these things before because I came in late. Yeah. You know, but like it was just like everything that was fast flow for me was crazy. But everybody that was connected to like New York style of rap or whatever, they would be like thinking or like, like that West Coast vibe. That West Coast vibe. Yeah. Well. I, I I used to listen to the East Siders, and then I remember when Outcast was like coming out, I was like, oh this this. Yeah. So different. But you know, it was just, it became different branches of hip hop. Yeah. Like, it doesn't take away the power of of the West Coast. You know what I'm saying? What, what, what the other dudes were doing yeah. is still dope. Like, I can still rap both. For sure. Both eras. You know what I'm saying? I agree. But, like, Bone Thugs and Harmony was the truth for me. Bone like, Thugs and Harmony. It was the truth. Man, wow. You know, the but like, bus I was, rides. Like, I but I can still bump. listen. You know what I'm saying? But, like, I listen to Cormega, like, Cannabis, like, old yeah. school cats. Yeah. Or like, you know, you would listen to Wu-Tang. And then you would listen to Outkast. Like, for me, it was not, like, a beef in those. Yeah. You didn't have me, to was, make a choice. They were still classics. For me, it was mm. the school. Like, that, that, was, that was how I learned English. That's how I speak English today, bruh. Like, that's how I learned English. It was through hip-hop. Like, nice. I can't education on so many levels. Not just the language. Just the culture itself. The expressions and the concept of... Just expressing your emotions and, 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 and your experience and your yeah. story and giving it value when it's completely considered worthless. You know what I'm saying? By, by the society or the powers that be, whatever it is. And that, to me, spoke volumes at the time. And I really embraced different genres, but I really liked the militant shit way more because nice. that's where I came from. So I used to love Dead Prez. Like when Dead Prez, my lord, that was, holy. That was my yeah. school for me. Like I love thinking about them, like RBG all day. Like it was just like, and they did this track called Africa and they called out Algeria. And I was like, yeah, because <laughs> it was this ambiguous experience coming to Canada. Like, what are you? Mm-hmm. What are you? Like you're too light skinned, but then you're not white, but <laughs> like your hair, but like, are you sure you're Arab? What are you? Do you are you Arab? Are you, what are you? Oh, yeah. And like, and being legit, not knowing where to place myself because every other Algerian be like, you don't look like the other Algerians. I'll be like, oh. Are you unique? Nah, but like, they won't make me feel like I was <laughs> I part know, of the group. Know. You know, the yeah, club. Yeah, you know yeah. what I'm saying? They're yeah. not like, oh, you're unique. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, look at her. Unique. Yeah. <laughs> you know? No, it wasn't like you're unique. <laughs> More like you're different. You're, yeah. You're weird. You're you weird. weird. You yeah. know? And then, and then I would have like people be like, oh, you're trying to be black. And I'm just like, wow, that's so interesting. Because my whole life, I remember being treated. Oh, you had that? You yeah. had that growing up. But in Algeria, I was treated like I was, um, yeah. uh, literally like. Uh, was it the hair? Yeah, of course. The hair. My dad, my dad is like darker skinned with nappy hair, like, and he had he the afro comes. He had the real afro. Okay, nappy <laughs> like, hair like mine. Uh, less. Okay. Less, but. What are you trying hair. to say? <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm messing with you. <laughs> Yours is epicur. <laughs> epicur. Uh, but like, it was just like one of those things where you just. Um, had that experience of having a, a father that's darker skin than your mom. Mm-hmm. And I, I grew up always comparing my skin tone to my dad. Oh, my God. Yeah. You know, and I'll be like in between them two. <laughs> and like by the summertime, I finally be able to catch up. And yeah, then like, yeah. you know, and my dad would always shit on me because I'd be like too light and things like that. And <laughs> like you never catch up. So all this to say that coming to Montreal in a multicultural place was definitely a mindfuck because everybody's trying to place you in a box and be like. And you didn't fit. And I didn't, I didn't seem to fit in any yeah, of the boxes. Yeah. And the people that welcomed me um, and, um, you know, like, in a way I grew up with, you know, 
came from Christian gospel, Haitian backgrounds, mm-hmm. or um, or be it like mixed backgrounds, like a lot of Latinos, a lot of uh, Filipinos were in my surroundings. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it was not like I was affected by one type of culture only. There was so many cultures that I was exposed to, but ultimately the culture that affected me is Montreal. Like it's Montreal, NDG, Côte d'Ener. That to me has its own identity because it's not the same as anywhere in Quebec. It's not the same as other places in Montreal. And it's definitely not... Like, we even have our own way of talking that you know this person's from DG or yeah. from Côte d'Ineige. Yeah, definitely. You know it. Definitely. The way you talk in French, I know you're from Côte d'Ineige. Yeah, the way yeah, you talk yeah. in English, I know you're <laughs> from the hood. Definitely. You know it, you know? Yeah. So... We it, recognize people from the East End versus the West End. Exactly. Yeah, 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 and we yeah. know it within ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. Who comes from what or what school you went to yeah. and what you made of based on yeah. that school. So imagine that on a global scale. But then when you hit that whole colorism and whatever in art and in music, I had that issue. Colorism. Because, I like yeah, that. But in my culture, to them, they're like, oh, you're making music for them. Because I'm not doing Ooh. traditional stuff or things How that are Algerian or that? Arabic. How does that they make feel you like, feel? Oh, you're here for them you know how does that make you feel like does it does it affect you like today does it affect you yes of course it uh-huh. does because you know you're always um you know depending on how you live your art and your music it's an extension of you of who you are and your culture has an impact in it and whatever culture that you're inspired by has an impact in it some people you know don't care about that some people are disconnected they just like i like edm i'm just gonna do edm some people are like i just faire le techno i'm just gonna do techno music yeah. you know They don't care if you're from Bangladesh or if you're from Timbuktu or if you're from Algiers. Like, they I'm don't care. Is, That's what I do. And yeah. I'm killing it. I'm DJing that. Nobody's going to come scrutinize you. But as soon as you start singing, it's like, oh, you have to fit a certain box, you know? Because if I want to sing jazz tomorrow, then I'm in a jazz box. Then I'll be the Algerian that sings jazz. But I'm still uh, a jazz singer. Yeah. But if I want to sing R&B or like soul or... um funk mm-hmm. or whatever and i also want to do some shabby and rye music or whatever then it's like oh out of the blue i have to choose who i'm i'm rooting for who i'm rapping like oh you and then it's more like you're rapping the west like i'm i'm gone with the the westerners you know what i'm saying that's the experience when you're from back home i didn't i didn't i didn't think about that struggle and you're singing a, in english you're not singing yeah. in a language so even if i throw uh some dialect of, here yeah, and there yeah, yeah. you know what i'm saying it's not the same because i'm not it's like i'm not speaking to them per se yeah but I know for a fact that Algerians are not limited to just one style of music. Like, they're Algerians that are heavily into heavy metal and, like, mm-hmm. all types of stuff. But I know... Well, I think, that I think that's human beings, like... In general. Like, like yeah. I, could, I could put it that way. Like, as a black man, I, I listen to everything. And when I mean everything, everything except maybe techno. Okay. Yeah. So... Same. But people are always surprised when, you know, they go through my phone and, and or they're driving in a car with me and then different songs come on and they're like you you listen to that right I'm like, yeah and and they're like really and I you know, the artists it, yeah like, for sure yeah. i appreciate music i don't yeah. think i don't think because i'm black i should only listen to hip-hop or black like, music in yeah, general yeah, like, you yeah. listen to funk yeah and, exactly like, you know, like, like it, it doesn't make sense you have one life you should be you should be able to to open your mind and being able of to course. explore and yeah. and enjoy yeah. enjoy the 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 music aspect, it. man. It's it's that's gold. what Montreal allows me to do. Yeah. Is to give me that permission to explore and mm-hmm. create my own fusion and my own sauce. You know what I'm saying? And marinate in my own way. But I have to. It's a it's a privilege and a luxury to be able to be disconnected enough so that I don't have yeah. to care too much what the people have to say just yet. 
but well i i could go into that yeah. like the crowd do you like it more intimate or do you like it when you play on a bigger stage because it's like the hype the sound the... Yo, bro, so intimate both, or both? both but i have to say that i appreciate mostly intimate yeah like Why? my favorite trip is intimate because i'm How all about so? connection in many ways right like i feel i feel like music is an experience to be shared and not just entertainment mm-hmm. for show and distraction. So I think for me, I, I enjoy both aspects of it. I love the entertainment part, but I really love the spiritual aspect of music deeply and yeah. profoundly. So, um, music you're a is, performer too. Yes, though. that's what I'm saying. Like yeah. I'm, I have this duality, you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? If it's a duality or I embrace both sides, I guess, mm-hmm. because I have that showmanship in me where I'm a performer and I love it. I love it when it's a good ass show. When yeah, it's quality, I saw a couple of your shows. Point, you move around, you, you, know you jump, saying? you. But I live the music. That but, hair becomes alive. <laughs> but I'm not necessarily naturally into like choreographing and doing all of yeah, that yeah, stuff. Yeah. It's more natural on the spot, mm-hmm. you know? But when you get on stage, all those times when you sing to intimate crowds, when you sing to the big audience. I remember going to, I think it was the jazz festival. Oh, you, were, you were just jamming. You were, you were in your zone. Is there a moment on stage that, I don't know, before you walk in, maybe it's when you're done your set, that you feel vulnerable, that you question, is this really happening? Am I... Is my voice going to be good? Is, yeah. Like, because when I see you perform, mm. even on videos, mm. you seem that you're not worried about anything. <laughs> that you're in such a zone that I think someone could tap you on the shoulder and you would still mm. keep singing. Like, it's, it's, <laughs> that's how I feel when I watch you. You're a very passionate person, individual, but do you ever feel that sense of, I'm yeah. vulnerable right now? Hell yeah. 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 It's a it's a funny contradiction, right? Mm-hmm. It's like the most vulnerable feeling yet. It could it could make you feel so strong at the same time. It's weird. I think for me, it's, there's this been there's been this weird contrast where I felt more at home on stage than I felt off stage. Okay. And uh, because I abandoned myself into the moment, into that, it's like I. The way it works for me is that I'm stressed the fuck out before a show. Like, okay. And it was bad back in the day. Like, I would get physically sick. Like, really? physically sick, you know? And, like, I would be sick before every show. I've never done a show at 100 for the longest time. Mm-hmm. And I would get sick. Like, I get a cold. I get, like, a throat problem. I get, like, a belly. Whatever the hell, I would but just be sick. you still had to go on. You still had to always. perform. I always had to perform on 50, 40% capacity or, like, 60% capacity or 70% capacity. And I had to realize at one point that I was creating that. It's like it was psychosomatic or something. Yeah, you know? the level of stress that you're yeah, putting Yeah, and even yourself. my mom, like, she became a healer because of me. Like, she was just... <laughs> <laughs> she was to, like, because I live my stress differently, and I couldn't even figure it out that that's what it was. Because it felt so comfortable once I was on stage. Yeah. Although I'm scared shitless, you know? And, uh, but I'll be scared before, and I'll be really nervous before. And so it would translate in that way. And it took me a while to get over that. Took me a while, and even now, when it's like real serious things that I'm really afraid of, uh, I can't sleep the night before. Like I have insomnia, and 
why it trips me up because I need to sleep so that my voice is rested so that I feel confident about my voice when I'm about to perform the next day. Because I'm not here like singing bossa nova chill shit. Like I'm rapping and I'm like screaming big ass notes. So I need to be healthy. I need to have my voice sure. on point and I need to have my nose clear. Need cleared. your cords. <laughs> yeah. Need my cord. I need my breathing. Yeah. Um, it's bigger than me. Like once the energy comes on and the music comes on, like it takes over me. Like I know I'm gonna be feeling the music and living it. Mm-hmm. So it's not like I'm gonna be sitting in a corner singing my song in my chorus. Like it's bigger than me. Like it's really not like something that I'm gonna be like. And at that moment, I will start jumping. <laughs> you know, like I actually don't. That's not choreographed. Half of my shit, I wait. I literally, yeah. I don't even know how we pull it off. Like yeah. I, so much shit is last minute. Like it's so like you said, unreal. We'll, we'll wrap it up with that. <laughs> any any last words to to the listeners out there? That was really good. <laughs> Thank you. I had no idea where this was gonna be about or go. Yeah, but, I but that's it that's was the fun. Flow I feel that, like man. I'm just I'm just it's catching up with you. Yeah, yeah. And you getting to know parts of my life we didn't get yeah, to talk about back that's, then. That's that's the point. That's the point. <laughs> It's always one of the toughest parts. Like, okay, what's your favorite track? What's your favorite movie? What's your last word? <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you do, try to find ways to make yourself smile. And remember why you're here if you can figure out why. Because this ride is bumpy as hell. And it doesn't get easier. You just got to build that resilience and switch your perspective along the way and i just wish that everybody's journey no matter how hard it gets or how convoluted and intense it gets mm-hmm. that they can remember that they're bigger than all of this and that there's a reason we are all here and we do need each other so whatever way you can leave a place better than you when you got in you know what i'm saying like try to do that because um sometimes we don't realize the impact we leave behind and we don't realize the value of that impact. And in those words, thank you, thank you, and thank you. Thank you <laughs> for having me. Kick up. You know you got me speechless. So many